Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. And this episode, our guest, that's plural, are the University of Georgia coaching staff. A good friend of ours, the SID there, John, did awesome interviews, kind of 15 minutes each of each one of the uh, staff members there. We decided that we would just package it all together and introduce the entire coaching staff for you. So uh, you'll enjoy these little snippets of how the uh, COVID-19 stoppage of track season affected them. And then some cool fun facts and find out who the best soccer player on staff is and uh, what the best meal uh, one of them had, which is kind of extraordinary. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful University of Georgia track and field staff. Let's start with John's interview of head coach Petros. You're out in Albuquerque. How aware are you at that point that you know, the the indoor championships might not happen. Yeah, I mean, we we went to Albuquerque, um, you know, thinking everything is good. Uh, we had no indication or, or idea that it was going to be canceled. Um, I believe we got there uh, Tuesday night, and um, I think the same day the NBA announced that uh, they're canceling. And at that point, I started... Uh, I started thinking, oh shoot, now, you know, if a major organization like that does that, I think, you know, we are next. Uh, but we didn't really think that way. I mean, we were prepared. I mean, I had the speech ready, had the hype videos ready and, and get the crew ready. Um, and as you know, our team had a, um, both of our teams, you know, ranked in the top five, which, you know, automatically put you in contention, contention for mm-hmm. the titles. And, you know, we had the press conference uh, said, you know, which they invite the, uh, the, the head coaches that lead those teams. So the indication it was everything is it was going to uh, to be normal and and then I believe uh, um, Thursday morning came out with uh, oh we're not gonna let fancy and just meet your family family and then that kind of escalated to uh, we're not doing this uh, so by I believe by Thursday at one o'clock or two o'clock they they cancel it but uh, um, it was you know it was something that uh, it crossed my mind after the after the NBA's uh, decision, uh, but I couldn't believe that they would cancel an NCAA championship just like that. <laughs> yeah, what was it like talking to your team after? I mean, you know, they're all following social media, so I'm sure they're aware of you know kind of play by play. But I mean, what was that meeting like? Just because I, you know, it's what you're gearing up towards for so long. Yeah, you know, we just had to. Uh, you know, to be a leader and, and the coaching staff and everybody to kind of, you know, explain to them why that that happened. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old um, kids, uh, competitors at, at that matter, um, you know, most of them, I mean, all of them actually were ranked uh, in the top four in the event. So they were really excited in, you know, in going in there and pursuing the, the, the opportunity and the, the chance and, and the blessing to, to contend for an NCAA title. And, you know, when you have that taken away from you just like that, uh, in their young minds, it was really difficult to, to grasp um, 
the whys, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a leader, I had to really break it down to them and, and give it to them straight. But at the same time, uh, you know, try to explain and make sense out of this and why uh, this is so important uh, for us to just kind of walk away and um, and really um, let it sink in. And then obviously we get the uh, the the NCAA president's um, announcement that basically uh, they're losing their outdoor season too. So uh-huh. uh, that was pretty hard uh, for these young souls to to take it in and um, understand um, the whys. But um, I think everybody, you know, when when you uh, when you explain to them and give it to them straight without any uh, uh, leaving any questions or any. Um, any clarifications out of the equation um, they you know they're young they'll forget they'll move on um, and that's one of the goods or bads of this generation is that they they tend to move on a lot better than uh, than our generation yeah so and in terms of getting home I mean I know it wasn't as easy as just heading straight to the airport oh my gosh oh yeah yeah yeah, well, I mean, thank, <laughs> thank goodness for um, Stephanie Ransom. Uh, um, and obviously my director of operations, Melissa uh, mm-hmm. Beasley, she, she really reacted. Uh, uh, and when you have good people around you, you know, that they think like you, I mean, she was already one step ahead uh, and got in touch with Stephanie. And, um, and Stephanie reacted like a true leader and uh, uh, just got us in a charter flight, uh, basically the next 24 hours, less than 24 hours after the announcement, and uh, we got home safely. Yeah. So, and now, where do things stand? I mean, it's in, it's as of now, anyway, it's still an Olympic year. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, you may not know what the calendar exactly looks like in terms of, especially like U.S. trials or anything like oh, that, gosh, but yeah. how do you proceed? with you know because it's not like you can you know all these athletes can just go sit on their butts for uh, and wait to yeah. see what happens i mean they gotta you know keep training and all that how do you yeah. how do you handle all that well actually matter of fact as we speak uh, the ioc is meeting right now for the fate of the olympics um and we're we're patiently waiting for that decision that will you know clarify and clear a lot of things for these kids um, but the fact that <laughs> we can't train them mm-hmm. that's the disappointing part we can't I mean we can't use any of the UGA facilities absolutely nothing right. um, so most of them like the collegians are all home basically uh, with the exception of you so they can just go out and, and I mean I give them workouts I mean I, I uploaded, uploaded them on, on the website I have for them to access the week and just to have the option that okay if you have access to a facility uh wherever you are just go and stay in shape and um uh, the hardest part is really for the post collegians like the candles and the devons of the world mm-hmm. that um you know this is their living i mean that's how they they survive that's how they make money uh and right now there's no meets there's no opportunities for them to do anything and uh, uh but they they try to stay patient and and um and train um same thing i mean they um i mean the post collegians will you know train um at the track and lift up my house and um, stuff like that so um it is not easy for these kids uh, especially being far away right now going home and being safely at home um to to train and uh, and at this point the way we're really handling it is just maintain maintain what you got until further notice <laughs> yeah 
you know, which, uh, you know, when you're when you're 20 years old or whatever, it's uh, probably not easy. You know, I mean, I mean, I know these people have extraordinarily, you know, focus and discipline and all that to do what they do, but uh, you know, when it's sort of chaos all around you, um, it's probably a challenge. It's definitely, definitely a challenge and a maturity uh, test. <laughs> yeah. So, so what did you do over the weekend when suddenly you found yourself? you know, to a degree with kind of nothing to do. Yeah. Well, thankfully for me, I got a lot of things to do in, uh, around my house. Um, keeps me busy. You know, I did a webinar yesterday for the Creek Federation, um, which uh, it was it was really nice. Uh, so a lot of things will happen. I mean, we work from home. Uh, we do a lot more recruiting now, just kind of uh, scanning the, the young ones that come out. Um, you know, just to see what's going on. So we basically work from home, and uh, personally, I, I I know how to keep myself busy. You know, I either work on my watches or I lift in my weight room or you know ride the bikes around the neighborhood and stuff like that. So I I I'm very blessed to have uh, that opportunity, um, uh, but uh, it, it will pass. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to picture you sitting on a couch. Yeah, I, I do. I do have a lot of uh, energy, and thank God I I'm in a great area and great place, and uh, and um, and I can keep myself busy. Yeah. Definitely not sitting on a couch. No. Me and Jack are about the same. So yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he's doing the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean he actually, you know, was with his with his post grads. It was at a pool in Atlanta yesterday where oh, he wow. could, where he could train. Um, you know where it's you know where it's with a track i mean it's you know because there's not necessarily public tracks so to speak you know what i mean or you know they're usually tied in with the school of some kind mm -hmm. so that could be harder for you know people to access oh yeah yeah all right we're gonna we're gonna move to sort of more silly upbeat uh yeah. quick chat questions uh, what is the best meal you've ever had? Whether just the food or because of the setting or the location or the situation? Oh, wow. Well, that was a 10-course uh, meal at a... Um um, like an Estonian restaurant in Tallinn um, uh -huh. I had with um, uh, a good friend, uh, the president of the federation uh, about, uh, I don't know, maybe last year um, it was amazing, it was just uh, 10 course of a very simple, very tasty cuisine um, surprisingly, <laughs> uh, being in, you know, um, northern Europe, um, but that was the best meal I've ever had, really. yeah. just the, the, the variety and uh, just the small portions, but just very tasteful. Yeah, so was it Estonian food, technically, or just sort of yeah, northern European Estonian. food? Yeah, like a mixture of mm -hmm. uh, Estonian, Finnish, Nor Norway. Uh, I was up in... Uh, in Tallinn uh, by the water mm -hmm. um, and um, you know <laughs> uh, my friend um, uh, Eric uh, is his name he's the president of the Estonian Federation he's a he's a man of uh, taste and quality mm -hmm. so he he knew the right spot yeah but that was definitely the best one I've had in as far as I remember yeah I mean as somebody that uh, grew up a long way from here that you know probably never envisioned a life of you know living abroad and traveling all over the world i mean are you kind of blown away at where your life has taken you 
Yes, um, like Josh Brooks told me the other day, he asked me, hey, would, would uh, the 20-year-old Petros ever thought he'll be at this point at, at 40 or 41? I said, um, no way. I mean, uh, if you were to tell me that 10 years ago, I would be, I'll be laughing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's funny how life uh, takes you places and how life can quickly change if you... Uh, if you don't watch what you're doing or, um, you know, just not keep things on it. So, um, but no, I would never imagine my wildest dreams that I would be where I am right now. Yeah. Do you remember your first trip to the U.S.? Yes. I would never forget that. Actually, it was uh, January 2nd, 2004. Mm -hmm. um, I was sitting in the plane that uh, I had to borrow money from my dad to... Um, to buy the ticket and go to Omaha uh, to start my master's uh, studies with basically $2,000 in the bank, um, you know, to trying to pay a $15,000 uh, um, year one in my master's studies. Mm -hmm. And I was reading, I remember um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's story, mm -hmm. uh, how he came, how he started in the U.S. And I'm like, man, um, what a story. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't go through what he went through, but uh, a very similar path and, uh, um, you know, kind of reaching that American dream. And, um, and, and now, 16 years later, um, I think I'm leaving it. No questions about yeah. that. <laughs> well, you've come quite a long way in 16 years. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I mean, there's a whole lot to be proud of there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, of all the places you've traveled, what's the one you kind of have been back to just to see it and experience, or is there a place you can't wait to revisit? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to uh, revisit, um, um, I mean, the U.S., you mean? Or, or anywhere. Anywhere. Well, I mean, I, I, I'd like to go back to um, um, kind of revisit uh, my old stomping crowns, my high school. Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of just tour for a day and uh, <laughs> got to go um, go and see those cold um, humid classes uh, that uh, there was no uh, I remember we used to open the windows in the summer and bundle up in the winter how cold it was with no heating or air conditioning uh, just just those times where you know when you're young and and you don't know anything and you don't know what your future holds but the, the times you spend with your classmates and you know having fun and, and and, and can't wait to grow and all that, but um, that's that's one thing I kind of I'd like to go back and and revisit really. Yeah. So, in what way are you a better coach now than you were when you first uh, took over at Georgia? Um, definitely. I mean, I don't think there's uh, anybody out there that will tell you otherwise. Uh, I mean, you learn from experience. Uh, um, you learn from your mistakes. Um, I think I've made a lot more mistakes and and failed more times that I succeeded. Um, and you know, like my dad and any wise person out there will tell you that uh, um, if you don't learn from your mistakes, then you're a failure. Really, um, mistakes don't make you a failure; they make you a wiser person. So, um, I want to, you know, that that's that's how i became better coach i mean dealing with um you know more challenged people or or different kind of athletes and know how to handle them i i think i've i've gotten better over the years and and knowing how to surround yourself with the best and um um and i think you know as the years go by we become better and uh, i'm no uh, i'm no different yeah so looking back on your days as an athlete 
I mean, you're still an athlete, clearly, but uh, in terms of a young athlete, younger athlete, I'll say, what was the first sport you were good at? Oh, man. Um, I wasn't great in anything, really, or good, like really good at. Uh, well, I, I mean, had a, well, among, among the area, um, I mean, regionally, uh, I was a good javelin thrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so track, um, soccer was obviously the number one sport, but all of them were pretty good and nobody would really pick me on their team but um but uh, i really liked it like every child at that age in, in europe mm-hmm. um volleyball was one of my um favorites uh really because uh, i used to jump pretty high and i had a good arm because of the javelin but uh um, so they would pick me for that but um uh, javelin throw it was um it was my first um true love per se just because i was i was in the top three in my my region mm-hmm. um so that kind of you know when you have success you know you tend to like what you do more um so javelin and volleyball yeah. beach volleyball to be uh, exact yeah now in the rare times when you do sit down and like watch sports on tv what do you typically watch oh man um obviously the nba um is you know the the most interesting one mm-hmm. um i don't really watch uh, college basketball i don't like it um i do like the the nba um i i watch olympic weightlifting a lot uh i'm very intrigued by that sport very um uh, have a lot of respect um just because growing up in greece you know they and they had that big tradition um i'd say that's the one sport i would i would look for mm-hmm. um but uh, other than that, I, you know, I, I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a fan, uh, like a fanboy or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Um, what do you remember about your first football game in the U.S.? Because I mean, I don't, I don't even know how much you knew. I don't know if that was, I don't yeah. know if that was up in Boise or if that, or where it was. But uh, was that as foreign to you as it is for a lot of uh, European athletes that come over here? Oh my gosh, I, I used to hate it like the first couple of years. I was like, what is this? Like, why? Why are people hitting each other like that? Uh, but then um, the more I got to, to know it, you know, and obviously liking to play chess a lot, um, you know, I realized that it is a game of uh, match of chess. And, um, you know, I started really getting hooked. And it wasn't until my first game, it was uh, with the Nebraska Huskers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in Omaha, I went with a friend, but I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't really following it. I just went there for the, the festivities. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I went to Boise State in, in 2007, I believe, when they won the first uh, Fiesta Bowl. Right. Uh, I, and, you know, being the underdog with all these tricky plays and all that, I got really, really hooked. And um, to date, actually, I'm a, I'm a big Boise State fan. Yeah. Boy, that was great to hear from Petros. What an interesting uh, just story and uh, how he got to the U.S. and just his love for track and field and and good food. (laughs) Now let's turn our attention to the throws coach extraordinaire, Don Babbitt. Um, I mean, for starters, doing your job from home, um, how difficult is it because you're so hands-on, you know, out uh, at the track every day? Yeah, um, obviously it's, it, we've really, we're sort of in a holding pattern in training, you know, for the part. Um, the one thing with all of the 
the lockdowns and, and things being closed is for the throwing events. Pretty much all the throwing event venues are shut down all over. Mm-hmm. And access to even like a field at like parks, they're technically shut down. So um, in, in the throwing sense, we're really limited in what we can do. Um, you know, even even athletes on their own. So, um, you know, probably two thirds of the work we do training wise is is probably outside in some way, shape, or form, and then the other third is inside. And uh, the inside type of training, uh, you know, there's ways to do that at home. Um, you know, given you know body weight exercise or something like that, or if you have access to a weight set or some type of medicine bowl and some type of equipment, but uh, we've pretty much had to maintain kind of a holding pattern right now, so there isn't too much uh, going on in that sense, and uh, you know, we're not sure when it's going to end, so we're just trying to kind of maintain fitness right now. Yeah. So how are you filling your time um, you know, that you would otherwise be at the track? Are you going stir crazy or are you finding sort of new projects, interests, that kind of thing? Yeah, actually, uh, I've been pretty busy at home. Uh, you know, my, my wife's still working. You know, she's teaching online. She teaches Athens Academy, so they're online you know, for mm-hmm. at least a month. And then my youngest daughter's doing high school online, and then uh, my oldest daughter and her boyfriend are both down here. They're up at Princeton, but they're obviously doing online too, so uh, they're pretty busy throughout the day, so I'm doing all the stuff around the house. I'm doing the, uh, you, you know, the, the cooking, you know, the shopping, uh, cleaning up around the house. Not all of it, of course, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of keeping pretty busy doing that stuff to kind of fill the void yeah. with what's uh what we can't do training-wise. You yeah. know. There's a little bit of recruiting and stuff uh, going on you know, right now. Um, obviously, you know, phone calls are online, but uh, it's, it's very limited. We're just very limited in what we can do. Yeah. Now, are you enjoying sort of doing the around-the-house stuff because it's not something you've had a great deal of time to do you yeah. know, during your career? Well, it's, it's probably something I've always needed to do more of anyway, so it kind of feels good to be able to do it more. Um, to be honest with you, the uh, all that type of stuff, I, I really don't. It's kind of fun doing it in some ways. And right now, you know, it's a nice change in some ways. Uh, you know, there isn't that many other things you can do. I've been able to, uh, both my wife and I have been able to, keep up a pretty uh, steady regimen of exercise, which is nice. Because mm-hmm. uh, with our jobs before and, and coming and going, you know, we leave the house at 7.30 and get home at 7.30, 8 at night, it was a lot harder to keep it going steady before. So now, with, with a bit more time, and obviously the, the days are getting longer too now, uh, we've been able to keep things pretty steady. So, yeah. so that's nice, and that's something that we weren't able to really do together consistently before, and we can do it consistently now. So it's nice to be able to kind of reconnect that way. Yeah. So tell me about you as an athlete. How would you rate yourself as an athlete, uh, you know, up through your UCLA days? Um, I would say I was a good college-level athlete. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the team that I was on, was a national championship team, um, so I was, I was on a very good team, and I was uh, my senior year. I finished sixth in Pac tens on the javelin. Mm-hmm. So anytime you finish in the top eight or the top ten, especially like a Power Five conference like that, I would I, I'd call that that being a high, you know a good college level athlete. I didn't quite qualify for nationals. I thought I was maybe on track my senior year or two, but I got an injury right before the season started and it just stopped me from really um, 
progressed that last five percent that I needed. But uh, I, uh, so you know, I, I was uh, I felt pretty good about my career there. You know, I had done some other things. You know, I played a little uh, pro beach volleyball after my uh, college was, you know, college career was done. Oh, I didn't know that. So just growing up in Santa Monica, you know, uh, even on the whole whole beach in Southern California, Manhattan Beach, Laguna Beach, beach volleyball is a huge part of the culture. You know, so yeah. almost everybody plays it. Everybody has some type of skill. Okay, I have to ask, did, did you ever play with Wilt? Uh, yes, one time. Wow. So, one time. Um, so there is different, I'll explain a little bit more is, um, there was different uh, scenes, you know, down at, uh, uh, you know, there's a Pacific Palisade scene or State Beach scene. Then there's the Santa Monica Pier scene. That's where Will played. So, and I would say the last two years that he played were kind of overlapped with the first two years that I really started playing. Mm -hmm. So this would be like 1989, 1990 or so. And uh, so, and I happen to be down there every once in a while. There's six courts at Santa Monica Pier, and Will always played on on the first court. And there was a bunch of old time guys that were big time players in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. so they were probably they were probably in their 60s at that point. Not that mobile, but very highly skilled. You know, the huge uh, IQ for the game. Uh, which you know, which is important, and uh, but Will was, uh, you know, I, I'd seen photos of him playing before, but, but so I, I played it. We played a four on four game one time. It was one of those things where there's like three guys, four guys on one court, two guys on another court, three guys on the third court. They all we all kind of got together and played four on four. So uh, I wasn't as well as the team as playing against him, but he basically just stood there. He wasn't that mobile. He just stood there at the net. But when he put his hands up, I mean, he seemingly touched almost 10 feet, it seemed like. So, yeah. uh, he probably jumped a little bit in the sand, but he had his hands up. He was pretty mobile, so his hands were always kind of flying in the way. So, so he was, uh, and he's pretty intimidating, even though he's older at the time. Uh, so I think he passed away a couple of years after that, I believe. Yeah. Just all, he was still, you know, over seven feet tall, just standing there with his long arms. Yeah. It was amazing. So I, I just kind of thought, hey, it's kind of cool to play against Wilkes. He's, he's a different type of player, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. just a different body type. But uh, looking back, it's like, wow, that was Will Chamberlain, NBA All-Star, you know. Got yeah. Play you know, sports, that, you know, so. Yeah. Well, have you been a sports nut kind of your whole life? Because, I mean, in the conversations we've had over the years, I mean, I got the sense that you follow a lot of things and you know a ton of things. I mean, it seems like just from, there's a very deep reservoir of knowledge there. Yeah, I, uh, I like to think of myself as a sportsman overall. And I, I appreciate all sports around the world. Um, so, you know, growing up, my main sport really was soccer. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it probably more would have been football, but you know what, when I was coming up into middle school, Prop 13 pass out in California, which reduced the property taxes, but it, it killed all the after-school programs. Mm -hmm. So I could never play organized uh, football. And uh, so I, I played organized soccer instead and got into club level and actually played on a really high-level club team. Um, in fact, uh, I played through my senior year in high school and then I went off to college and the team disbanded because everybody pretty much was either in college as a freshman or they had, uh, or they're going into college. So we thought we were all going to go our separate ways. But the vast majority of the players 
um, stayed in Los Angeles and, and went to school in Los Angeles someplace at a variety of different colleges. Mm-hmm. And so they brought the team back together, but I was pretty burned out at that point, so I declined to join. So they took about four or five players from the uh, age level below in our club. Uh, Culver Palisades was the name. And uh, they brought up three really good players uh, uh, of those five were really notable players. And uh, two of them were the Balboa brothers. Marcello Balboa was the oldest of the two. I don't know if you know him. That name rings a bell. He was the he's the World Cup captain uh, for the nineteen ninety four World Cup team for the U S. Yeah, and he was he was the the, the center back, which was, so he took my place on the team. <laughs> so Marcelo Balboa replaced me on the team, and they won the national championship. They won the Guar Cup, the World Cup. So you can see who the weak link was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but growing up, I was around a lot of the top young junior players in the United States, and probably half I played against half the World Cup team. Uh, they came up, um, you know, in 1990, 1994, 1998. And all those players ended up playing at UCLA. Ziggy Schmidt is the coach, and a couple were from San Diego State, uh, like Eric Winalda, uh, who was in you know, center forward, who was our top scorer, I think, in 98, 94. So um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to come up through that scene. So that was kind of my main sport. I did track and I did football in high school, and then I just did track just in uh, college. And then I did beach volleyball afterwards. And you know, I've always kind of golfed and, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty good at bowling. In fact, I, I taught bowling huh. in Cal State when I was coaching there. So yeah. um, it was interesting because my, my bowling high score equaled my jab PR huh. all the, each year. So uh, up through my junior year, when I, I threw 213 feet 7 inches, which is my PR with a new javelin. And then I bowled a 258 the next year, and I couldn't quite match that in throwing. So... Uh, my senior year, I broke the streak uh, of college, you know, matching my bowling PR with my javelin PR feet inches. Yeah. So. Uh, but uh, but I've, I've been fortunate enough, you know, in my, my sports uh, career, just traveling, you know, the world and, and, and work with different federations, going to different major championships to meet coaches, uh, you know, Formula One drivers and stuff like that. I've always had appreciation for all these things. So I meet these different people, and I just quiz them as much as I can to find out as much as I can about, uh, you know, their given sport, how they train for it, and how they got into it and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, go, you always struck me as sort of one of the most curious people I know. And, and are you technically Dr. Babbitt now, or are you still working on a Ph.D.? Just, Working on it, you know. I mean, I'm kind of going to slow routes. I can't, I can't do too much at any time. So um, it's probably gonna be a couple more years, but uh, but it's slowly shipping forward. So. Yeah. So uh, what 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 uh, drew you to? I mean, because obviously you have a very full plate as it is. And what what uh, yeah. what led you down this road? Well, I I've always you know I've always taken a class or two at UGA over the years, mm-hmm. starting back when I first got to UGA through the tuition assistance program, which is nice. And uh, I remember just, uh, I was talking to Coach Dooley a couple years ago, and he always took some classes or audited classes. You know, he, he mainly did history mm-hmm. and some agricultural classes. Those are his interests. And so that always resonated with me, uh, you know, ever since I met him, you know, when I first got the job back in the mid-90s about, Here's a guy, you know, at the top of his field, you know, AD at Georgia, you know, national championship football coach. But he's still going back and just studying things, just trying to. He's always learning about new stuff in other areas. And so, uh, so I, uh, I always kind of, when I had time, I tried to take a class or two. I really, 
didn't have a whole lot of extra time. Um, the last couple years, I've had a, a bit more free time, and uh, but I'm always doing projects and, and uh, uh, you know doing studies and getting them published anyway, and, and publishing the training, you know, uh, articles for magazines. So I was doing kind of PhD type of stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this and replace any time that I do doing this for personal development and actually maybe formally work on a PhD. Um, where, where I can really choose a subject and really dig down deep in it yeah. instead of just writing a variety of different articles that scratch the surface on the topic, so to speak. I want to really be able to dig down, and plus there's a bit of accountability, you know, in, in, in that too, and then you kind of go through the whole process. Yeah. Taking classes, you know, um, you know, statistics classes to support what you're doing and, and other supplementary type of uh, subjects to help uh, in your scientific inquiry. So, you know, I was studying, uh, you know, sport pedagogy, and uh, which is directly what I do. And I have to say, every every class I've taken has really been helpful. It's really um, molded my perspective on things. Yeah. So, you know, you're you're never too too old to learn. I've I've really learned quite a quite a lot, you know, since I've started you know working on this, and uh, so it's, it's uh, really been beneficial, I think. I mean, yeah, when you were leaving UCLA, I mean, when you think about the life you've lived since then and everything you've been able to accomplish and experience, I mean, did you have any idea that any of this was coming? No, no, no idea. No idea at all. Um, I, you know, and I have to say, when at that time, I think some of the things that are going on right now, or the even the last 10 or 15 years, they weren't happening at that time either, so you couldn't have imagined it. It's just sort of the opportunities opened up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, part of doing the clinics internationally was working with the IAAF, and, um, which is our you know, world governing body, actually called World Athletics, they just rebranded to World Athletics now. Mm -hmm. and. I, I never thought I'd be in a position to be like their lead guy for the throws around the world in terms of, you know, coaching education and helping with their curriculum and stuff. And then the other thing that's kind of blown my mind a little bit, too, is, is, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, training at UCLA, a lot of the top American athletes were training at UCLA in Los Angeles. And, uh, and obviously competing against the Russians and the East Germans, those are our main rivals internationally. But you had, you know, the, the Cold War and the wall was still in full effect then. Mm -hmm. And now that that's all that's changed, those are the people I'm actually collaborating with and in touch with, you know, the former East German coaches and Russian coaches. Mm -hmm. And I've done clinics with them, um, you know, written articles together, done a few studies with them as well, too. So growing up through in, in the with the wall being in place, I never, you know, you, you never, there was just a thought like, hey, I'll never meet these people, you know, and then everything changed, you know, so, uh, so that was kind of mind blowing. So, like I said, a lot of the stuff that's happened, you just couldn't conceive it happening. The world's changed so much. That was really cool to hear from the great Don Babbitt throws coach. Who knew he was such a good soccer player and bowler? I will never challenge him to a bowling match, ever. Now let's turn our attention to head cross-country coach distance guru, Patrick Cuniff. Uh, well, that was actually going to be one of my questions, was when you're used to spending so much time on the track and figuring out training plans for the day, for the week, and everything, I mean, 
to suddenly not have that and to kind of you know help them coordinate I guess from home I mean how challenging is this part for you you know it's been really interesting just that you know kind of have this pocket at this time of year and and to you know to literally have nobody competing mm-hmm. is just so weird for you know yeah you know my typical is we probably have our first cross country meet at the end of August or very beginning of September and you know very very likely or very hopefully we have a kid going to USA's or Olympic trials or you know like last year we had Nicholas at Pan Am Juniors and Jessica doing uh, under 23s all the way into July mm-hmm. um, you know right now just really feels like summer training for us um, and I think the, you know, the nice thing is distance kids can do so much on their own. And at the end of the day, you know, if you don't overthink it and you just get out the door and run, you're, you're going to get a lot done. So I don't think there's just the urgency um, that maybe there are for groups that man, can't do technical stuff. Or that kind of thing um, but again it has been you know just checking in with kids again having to do that one on one or starting to move into that, that zoom situation um, it, it's just very different and then yeah you can get talked out pretty quick too yeah so alright um, we're going to kind of do like we did uh, last July I think kind of bounce around from some different things it's been a month now basically Um, are you finding yourself doing new things exploring new challenges coming up I mean the time that you're not on the phone and not uh, with your family I mean are you are your horizons expanding a bit you know I wish they were even more Um, Mm -hmm. I would say I've gotten back into a little bit better habit of reading Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm doing a lot of little kind of searches for topics that interest me and and that type of stuff Um, you know I jumped into running a little bit you know I had been training pretty well and and kind of ramped it up a little bit too much and and typical old guy tweaked a calf right away Mm mm-hmm uh, so that, that's been very frustrating. Um, you know, the circumstances of the situation, I think, you know, in some ways when it was all first announced, uh, you know, my wife and I were counting almost like, man, it'd be awesome if we could hop in the car and, you know, hit 10 national parks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just can't do that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it would be nice if, you know, the first wave of opening things up kind of puts those type of things on the table, you know, where, you know, you can go to national parks and the campgrounds open, but maybe the hotel's not or something like that, you know. Um, 
or yeah, however they they would need to work it out, but to give us some opportunities to to go a little further afield and and take advantage of yeah the unfortunate situation that we're not competing. Yeah. And the one huge difference that you know we've noticed with having the eight year old is you just don't have that. You know, when I said trying to get back to reading. You, you never quite have that like two hours just get lost in your book yeah time. you got to come up with some entertainment or lunch or you know go over the school work and all that kind of stuff yeah so i know i know yellowstone has an incredibly special place in your heart is there another national park that kind of speaks to you in a really profound way um yo i would say Yellowstone, and then you know, the thing we were really looking to, to do next was to, to get back to Glacier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Yellowstone is that one, like, it has so much, but it, you know, it doesn't, when you first drive in, it doesn't jump off the page at you. Whereas, you know, Glacier, I think Yosemite is one of those that you drive in and you're like, wow, steep cliffs and everything. But Glacier's got so much of that, yeah. you know, because it, it's a little bit more compact. It's more jagged. It's, you know, the incredibly clear water and, and that kind of stuff. So I think Glacier and then, you know, my wife and I went to Denali and uh, we've had... One of our Georgia alumni and one of our one of my Long Beach alumni are both uh, in the military and have been stationed in Alaska, and they're posting all their pictures. So, hmm. you know, first of all, the t- first thing you remember is how freezing it is in both those places. Yeah, and then you start dreaming about being there in the summer. So, I, I would say, you know, after Yellowstone, probably Glacier, and then. Yeah, the ability to maybe get up to Alaska again. I would love to hit, you know, it's crazy. My wife and I lived in Seattle, and we didn't make it out to Olympic. Oh, okay. And, and you know, that I kind of almost feel like that's a crime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I assume you made it to Rainier. Yes, we, we've done the Wonderland Trail. Okay. And, you know, that's the 91 miles all the way around kind of the shoulders of the mountain yeah so what as somebody that does a lot of camping type stuff what is the one thing you can't travel without can't go camping without is there one thing that's sort of a creature comfort or just literally makes life more bearable when you're when you're living out of a tent or something like that you know it's funny with both having the kid and getting a little bit older, but really kind of going through more of a, a car camping phase, mm-hmm. um, I will tell you I have become totally soft and and a sucker for a good air mattress. Yeah. And and my wife and I are just cursed in terms of yeah we finally found one that. Yeah, we loved, and the the valves were built in, so you didn't lose the the screw on top. And and the first time Cassidy had a kid sleep over, they had some 
army man or Lego, and of course they punctured it. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah, we we've had a succession of awesome tents. Yeah, that we love, and I, I think a good tent that that fits you and the people that you're camping with, like just sets everything else up. But I would say right now it's it's that good air mattress that just keeps you from waking up so stiff but you know we really look forward to getting back to a little bit more aggressive backpacking and i'm sure at that point i'll be kind of digging back into the you know for a long time in yellowstone it was you know it was weird you know one person just lived and died by having a good knife and you know other times it was like man who's got the the really good water filter yeah. sure we don't get giardia and, and that kind of stuff so I would say air mattress right now. It shows the the soft phase I'm in in my life. Well, no, I mean, we all have backs, and yes. and we all know the value of you know a good, good night a good night's sleep, uh, which you know often doesn't happen when you're effectively sleeping on the ground. Um, so. And it's a huge insulator too. Mm-hmm. So. What is the best meal you've ever had in your life? Is there one that stands out above the rest? Either because of the food or the setting or you were celebrating something? Yeah, you know, that I think we've talked before. I'm kind of a, a pseudo foodie because when I graduated, um, you know, I lived in Atlanta for about a year, but then moved out to Yellowstone and ended up working in a restaurant and, and actually did restaurants for, for almost 12 years. And, um, you know, I think a couple kind of stand out. I was working a ski season in Lake Tahoe. We actually had a, a celebrity ski weekend. And, you know, it was celebrity chefs, the, the Wolfgang Puck and the James Beard and and those kind of guys and I actually worked with uh, Bradley Ogden who owns a, a bunch of places in Napa uh-huh. and, and just kind of watching those guys kind of in a, a banquet setting but still just kind of crafting food was you know, spectacular and then you know you'd see them you know, basically chopping stuff up on almost a, a plastic you know, banquet table, and then put together something that was just incredible. Um, and we've had a, a lot of those experiences. I would say, you know, one recently we just uh, at the NCA cross country meet. We found this little Italian place in uh, Terry Haute, Indiana, mm-hmm. and I had wild boar naki chingale yeah and it was like you're kind of like ah yeah and it's funny i kind of just started trying to to flirt with plant-based or more or less kind of red meat but you know and it was just this rich delicious sauce and you know I think any time you kind of find that that unexpected meal, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really kind of a joy. In terms of if you could snap your fingers right now and be in one place, 
um, on somebody else's dime. Is there one place you'd like to go? You know, it's funny. Um, the one that's really kind of just jumped to the forefront, and I don't know if it's, you know, it is New Zealand for me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, I think, just a, a combination of things, obviously, way back in the day, and they've always had, you know, uh, a contingent of runners. Um, you know, we've had one of our alumni, Bijan, got it hardly pronounce his last name, Aja Body. He's actually been working with New Zealand Athletics, and he's uh, engaged to Maria Agudis, the, the triple jumper. So they're, they're often posting pictures, and, you know, they just have some spectacular outdoor stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think that combination of, you know, going southern hemisphere and um, the wild outdoor stuff and you know kind of a a little bit of a a European kind of culture almost yeah I I think would be fascinating yeah that was great stuff from coach Conniff is just doing an awesome job there with the cross country and distance runners for the University of Georgia. And now we end this special podcast with the pole vault coach, Russ Johnson. Russ is the newest member of the staff and has really assimilated really quick, really fast into the bulldog way. So interesting to hear Russ take Russ's take on coaching and how he got to Georgia and just what he's all about here as a coach for the Bulldogs. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and enjoy us ending here with Russ. Um, but yeah, I mean, you never, you never would have envisioned or imagined when, when we first started talking about coronavirus, like that, that we would be standing here today in this situation, I think. Um, most people would not have i think me and my medical background feared it all along because uh, i've been through epidemiology classes and studied viruses and things like that and then you can kind of see see the fingerprint of it and, and and the way it was spreading and all that so but it's uh you know i i tend to be pretty uh busy guy i think that's been the hardest thing for me as a coach is not being busy and mm-hmm. i really look forward to going to work every day for me it was you know a dream come true every day to go down to university of georgia and coach and work with those kids so you know it was always like i hope this never ends kind of a thing so that's been the hardest part i haven't been in my office and what you know since we got back right. and uh just being stuck away from something that you really love to do i think that's been just weird and surreal and you know frustrating um just not having any options but i think probably like everybody says you know being home with a family is unique you know since we've been married and had kids and always been working and busy you know this has been somewhat of a blessing just to be home and you know, find things to do with your family and just fill the days up as best you can. You know, I tend to be like a woodworker, landscaper guy, so I'm always busy with that stuff. 
I've been keeping in touch with one of my college teammates, one of my best friends, uh, Jeremy, is an ER physician. And I've got a lot of friends and former coworkers in the medical field. You know, I really think about them a lot. Yeah. You know, for us just to be home is one thing, but these guys are going in and dealing with the unknown and, and, you know, not knowing, you know, like my buddy's got a, a fairly, you know, he's got an infant, you know, and what is he being exposed to? And, you know, it's, it's a scary time, especially for, all my friends in the healthcare field, you know, I wish I could help somehow. Um, but yeah, in a way, this this kind of career change for me, I think, it was also a blessing to not be like your friend stuck in the clinic right now, trying to figure out how to how to deal with that. So, so take me, so tell me about the woodworking. I mean, and are you tackling are you tackling new projects? Me and my son built a, we've got an unfinished part of the basement we're going to make into like a man cave. So we decided to build like a secret bookcase door to the man cave. So Ooh. we did that yesterday. So it turned out pretty slick. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did you learn projects. all this stuff? How did you, I mean, did you, like, did your dad do this kind of stuff? Or how did you figure out how to do it? I just, I, I'm a guy that likes to learn always. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the year that I took off of coaching, when I re- resigned at Tennessee and I was trying to transition away from coaching, but I thought my career was done, um, you know, I bought an old 72 Chevy pickup and was like, I'm going to restore this thing and rebuild the motor, but I didn't know anything about cars. Um, so just kind of started learning, man. Google and YouTube are a beautiful thing. Um, but, I, you know, I've always enjoyed working with with my hands any way I could, whether it was building or art projects or, you know, anything like that. I just, I, I feel like I've always had like a creative side that I have to kind of deal with somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm envious of a guy like you that gets to write. I, I just think it's, you got to have something like that because we're in such a kind of a high pressure sport, you know, division one SEC, you've got to have something that, that you can do just to kind of, I don't know, flush your system creatively. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes I think, especially for men, it's harder to find that um, if you don't go search it out. Definitely sometimes projects can get frustrating, you know, if you take on too much, which my wife is always like, you don't need to take on that project. But, <laughs> but um, I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah. What's the best thing you've ever made? Oh, man. Or the thing you're most proud of? Um, probably sentimentally, you know, one time I made my mom, that w- that was kind of the joke is they would always get a handmade gift for Christmas, <laughs> somebody in my family. Um, my mom was a big gardener, loved to work in the yard and had beautiful, beautiful yards. So I think one time I made her a, like a potting bench, kind of a decorative potting bench with like carvings in it and you know slots for the soil to fall through and things like that i think she really liked that it turned out really well so that was that was something that years years and years ago you know it just depends some of it's just been out of necessity over the years when you know we were broke and we're like well we can't afford that piece of furniture so let's just build it um but i like to think it's gotten a little better over the years and uh 
you know, it's fun to see, like, one of my former vaulters, he's, you know, NCAA champion kid is now really into woodworking. He's super talented, so I think, you know, it's interesting to see that, kind of see him getting into that now. Because he, when he was in school, he would come over and help me. We built a deck up in Knoxville, and he helped me with it a lot. He was always a good kid. I think if you're a project kind of motivated person mm-hmm. if you think about some people just like to do the same thing over and over that's kind of where they find their piece i'm more of a kind of project builder i think that's why i like coaching you know you take this freshman and then you it's kind of a four-year project but you kind of see the before and after mm-hmm. but i i think that's satisfying in a way to look at kind of what you built and be like oh i did that you know whether it's a story you're writing or something you're building or you know, something you kind of create from your brain to reality. Yeah. People don't really do that anymore. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.